good to be here. I missed the, uh, the events last weekend. I want to thank Pastor Michael for doing a great job. Uh, I watched him live from California. Uh, and there was a pastoral, uh, like a staff worship team here on the stage. That was amazing, was it not? There was a lot of talent there, so I watched them. Uh, it, I was in California, so I got to watch it online. That was a lot of fun, so um, thanks for being here to support them. I got two interesting Christmas, Christmas gifts from parishioners this year. They're both t-shirts. I just have to share them with you today. I found them so interesting. Uh, the first one is this, uh, and I don't know what, well, you'll see what these mean. Let's see. Hey, man, can like keep off the grass? Is there kind of some liminal message in there or something? I mean, you can step on my lawn. It's okay, uh, within reason, and then you can repent. Uh, yes, I do love lawns. I have a passion for grass. Uh, I do. And this other, this other shirt is most interesting, so I'll just kind of show everybody. There. <laughs> You see that? Are you kidding me? <laughs> and the side. You read this? That's from a parishioner. I like to party. And by party, I mean stay at home and write sermons. That is so true. Just, yeah. Uh, Darren, uh, his big thing is partying with Marty, his motif with my name, so which is nothing. That was the, my name like in high school too. Shocking. Uh, but now I got a t-shirt. I can wear it around. It's totally cool. So thanks for those special gifts. They mean so much to me. It's kind of funny. This is a very, very interesting church. Uh, I want to show you my grandkids. A uh, picture I took before I got on the, the plane. Um, they're cute. They're five now and losing their teeth. So the little blonde there, that's Harper. Uh, and then, then Olivia is in the middle. Then Liz, my wife, who's still out there for a couple weeks. Uh, and then uh, Hudson. Uh, it's amazing how noisy little kids are, have you? <laughs> yeah, I was out there for a week. I was like tired. I was like, I forgot just how demanding and they're busy little things. A lot of fun. So we had a lot of, we had a lot of fun with them. So uh, pray for my wife that she comes back. Uh, she's having fun as a grandma. Uh, and we are studying the book of Romans, remember? Right. We stopped for Christmas. We're back in Romans. So we're going to do a little bit of review in case you missed uh, and if you're a college student heading, uh, how many are college students heading back to reality like today? <laughs> yeah. Aren't you excited? Yes. Yay. Yes. One is excited. <laughs> yeah. I always love coming home a month for Christmas for mom's food. And it was awesome. Did all the ironing, everything, washing. It was awesome. So we'll pray for you as you go back. So um, it's good to have you all. Let's have a word of prayer. Uh, God, we give you the scriptures today uh, and would pray that we wouldn't be distracted, that we would pay attention, uh, and that we would focus on uh, your spirit and what he says to us, and then might we be obedient uh, to mold our lives uh, to what your tender voice whispers in our ear, and pray for the lost uh, that we know, that might even be among us who don't know you, don't have a faith relationship with you, uh, might you show them the value of that uh, this morning as we look at Paul's uh, words in Romans 8, in Christ's name, amen. Uh, as a former uh, wrestler back in high school, uh, that's something that I've always been interested in following. Uh, and so Greco-Roman wrestling in, in, in Olympics was always very interesting to me. Uh, and so over the years, I followed that and watched the matches uh, to see what would happen. Uh, the most feared Greco-Roman wrestler of all time uh, is, in my estimation, hands down, uh, Alexander 
Carolyn. Uh, this is a picture of Alexander. He looks like a very inviting, nice guy. Uh, uh, he's definitely not from the United States. He's Russian. Uh, well, do we have another picture of, of Alexander? I think we had two. Is there a second picture? Yes. Uh, neck is similar to mine. Uh, <laughs> lats are close to what mine look like with my suit off, but uh, very intimidating individual, isn't he? I, and I just cropped the picture. It showed the rest of him in his wrestling uniform. Just intimidating. Uh, in his career, uh, he, uh, which spanned many, many years, uh, he won, he wrestled 887 times. Uh, those were all wins. <laughs> yeah, he lost twice, two times. Uh, and one to another Russian and one to an American at the end of his career, uh, but only lost by a point. There was only a point in the entire match. Uh, he went an impressive 13 years with not even losing uh, one time. That's mind-boggling. He went six straight years. Um, no one scored a point. I don't, do you know how impossible that is? I mean, it's easy to score a point in wrestling. All you got to do is break free of the guy's grip. Point. No one even got loose. He was intimidating. Six foot uh, three, 280 pounds, raw muscle. He was from Siberia of all pleasant places. I mean, unbelievable. So the Russians uh, gave him all kinds of colorful monikers like the Russian bear. That's as good as my Russian can be. Um, the Russian King Kong, uh, Alexander the Great, or they said somebody from Siberia that is an animal like this, has raw muscle, he must have come from, from some Russian science lab. So they called him the experiment. <laughs> Boy, was he. he. He won a gold medal in Greco-Roman wrestling three years in a row, or three uh, Olympics in a row. Uh, Seoul, Korea, watched him in 88, when uh, 92, Barcelona, he won. 1996, Atlanta, he won. He's a machine. He's a machine. What are we talking about wrestling for? Well, it's just kind of fun. Uh, no, because it's spiritual and motif, is it not? Let's review. Romans 7 is a wrestling chapter. Remember Romans 7? Way back when we studied Paul's wrestling with his flesh? What did he basically say as he wrestled his flesh? I don't always win. In fact, you know, the things I know I want to do to please God, I don't always do them. Can you relate? You're looking at 2019 going, okay, 2019 is going to be better than 2018 spiritually speaking. I know you're, what, you're weak into it. Were you sinless the entire time? No, I mean, you're going to struggle, but, but you want to get better. But maybe 2018, uh, your opponent was Alexander Carolyn. I mean, it was a fleshly issue that you battled with, uh, and he kind of got the best of you. Uh, they interviewed uh, Carolyn at one point, and they asked him, when he walked, when he walked onto the, uh, the mat to take on an opponent, he said, what did you sense from your opponents? And he said, I sense fear. <laughs> Their fear. And maybe when you look at your, your life and you're going, you know, when I look at my flesh, I mean, th th that which pulls me away from God, it's kind of like that. I fear it because I get near whatever it is that trips me up and I, just, I give in. Well, Paul was a spiritual wrestler of a Greco-Roman uh, sort. In fact, he's writing to the church in Rome uh, and he's writing his letters in Greek. Uh, and Paul knew how to, to, to battle with the flesh. Uh, and in chapter 7, he talks about his battle with the flesh. And the chapter ends with the scream from his body, who shall deliver me from this body of sin and death? And he, he says, it's Christ is, is my source of strength. But then he gets into chapter 8 like a coach, and he sits down with the wrestling manual. And you can see uh, a copy of Paul's uh, wrestling manual. And I'm just saying, just use your imagination. We did when we devised it. Uh, spiritual wrestling master, and this is Paul. So chapter 8 is kind of like his coach's book. 
And the coach's book's going to answer that question that's listed there. How can, can the believer gain victory over the sinful flesh? Because that's the goal of maturity, is each day become a little more victorious over the flesh. How do you do that? So we want to review because it's been a month and a half since we were in this chapter, right? And you're probably all new, <laughs> right? So let's review. How do you do that? Uh, principle number one from the coach. Number one, what should you do? Realize the principle, he said, in verse one of chapter eight of victorious Christian living. Therefore, Paul says, based upon the struggle of chapter 7, therefore, there is now no condemnation in God's courtroom for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you're saved, you're forgiven. Because if you have chapter 7 in your, under your belt and you've lost a few rounds with the flesh, um, the devil comes and whispers in your ear when you're down on the mat, what? You're always a loser. I get you every single time with the same old thing. Or you never saw me coming on this one, did you? Uh, no, I didn't see that one. Uh, see, he's telling you that. He condemns you. See, the Spirit of God convicts you. The devil condemns you. There's a difference between the two. Uh, and so Paul says, if you want to get victorious, remember that even if you have blown it, who still loves you? And the Lord does. And in his courtroom, he says, you're my child. You're positionally forgiven. Now make your practice match your position. So number two, Paul says, by way of review, realize the power of victorious living. So by way of review, verse two, Paul says, for the law of spirit of life in Christ Jesus has done what to you? Set you free, you're not in bondage to sin anymore, from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, i.e., you could not obey the law to become perfect enough to please God. So what it could not do, uh, as weak as it was through the flesh, God did, sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh as an offering for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh. He, f he fulfilled the law by living a perfect life and bearing your sin and dying on the cross and rising the third day. So when you come to him in faith, his power becomes your power for victorious Christian living. You realize you're free? You're free? It's all a mindset kind of thing. And athletics is a lot about mindset, isn't it? It's about mindset, focus, focusing. But he's going to add to that a third concept. Uh, we're going to study today in verses 5 through 11. It's coming out of the Paul's wrestling manual, chapter 8, verses 5 to 11. He's going to give us this principle. Number three, if you want to have victory over the sinful flesh, realize what I would call the presence of victorious living. What is the presence? And to under, introduce you to the presence of victorious living, uh, which you'll get to at the latter end of this uh, little pericope of Scripture, uh, he's going to do a contrast between two things. He's going to talk about the contrast between the old you, the old carnal you, the unsaved you, the non-Christian you, and the new you, the Christian you, the saved you, the contrast between the two. And he's going to say, as he vacillates back and forth in these uh, verses, 5 to 11, he's going to be, be telling you, do not live any longer like the old you, Live like the new you. And he's going to describe what that is so you know exactly what he's talking about. So let's look at what he says here, vacillating back and forth. Well, first we'll cover the old you, who you used to be uh, as a, as a non-Christian. Uh, and he's going to uh, tell us here uh, in these verses some very insightful things. So let's, what does he say? Verse 5. It says, for those who are according to the flesh, this is a non-Christian, what do they do? They set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who are according to the spirit, they set their minds on what? things are the spiritual. For the mind that uh, is set on the flesh is, in Paul's mind, death. And this would be physical and spiritual death. But the mind that is set on the spirit is two things, life and peace. Because the mind that's set on the flesh is what toward God? Hostile. Hostile toward God. For it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able. And then you'll see the to do so is italicized in the text because it's not in the Greek text. Uh, it's just put in there to make the sentence uh, make sense to you in English. Verse 8. 
He says, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. However, you as a Christian are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God dwells in you, then he gives a word of warning. But if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. He teaches us much here about um, the old you. Uh, He's going to talk first about defining terms. He talks a lot here in this passage about the flesh. And we've talked about the flesh in chapter 7. We talked about it in verses eight, one to four, chapter 8, verses 1 to 4. He's still talking about the flesh. So what is the flesh? So old Platonic reasoning, Plato, uh, Gnostic reasoning, said the flesh is ipso facto evil. It's the problem. Uh, and the spiritual is the most important thing. The flesh is, is, is just worthless. That is not the biblical concept because who made the flesh? God did. And when God made your body, he looked back and called it good. So your, your body before God is, is the crown of his creation. It's good, but what's the problem? Well, the fleshly body has desires. And those desires are tainted now by sin. And those sinful indwelling desires uh, exploit the limitations of the flesh and turn them to evil things. So Paul says the old you was dominated by the worldly fleshly desires of indwelling sin. That's the way you used to be. And he's going to describe this uh, in, in, in a in three steps as a coach uh, to remind you of who you used to be. And you'll notice that in my points, I've vacillated between past tense and present tense. Do you see that? Where it says, you were consumed with heavenly or with fleshly pursuits. That, that, that's from the perspective, if you were a Christian, this is what you used to be like. Then I put it in the present tense because not everybody in a church of 2,800 are believers. You understand this? They're not. And so this is for you to understand, where are you at spiritually before God? Well, you're still under the domination of the flesh, whether you realize that or not. Well, what's that like? So Paul's going to tell you as a coach. He says, uh, the first thing that a person dominated by the flesh is like is they're consumed with fleshly pursuits. Or you could say worldly, sinful pursuits. Uh, And all of his verbiage here uh, is in the present tense to to denote that this is just your lifestyle. It's just how you are. Anything that relates to the world that's the opposite of what God would want you to do is what you're all about. And he says you set your mind on these things. Uh, The Greek word for set your mind on is uh, phroneo. Phroneo doesn't mean you just flippantly look at it. It means you study it. You study it. Uh, I'm about finished with a book on Socratic logic. I've been reading it during Christmas uh, to understand better about argumentation. So it's not a night. You don't read it before you go to bed. Okay, this is... The kind of book that you read, and then you study it, and you memorize it, then you apply it, and you learn how to use it. Um, that's phroneo. It's taking something and studying it to advance in it. He says, this is what you did when you didn't know God. You took your mind, uh, tainted by sin, and you studied sin to do more sin. Is this not what our world does around you? I mean, haven't you ever like read the news and thought, who thought that kind of evil up? I mean, have you not? Uh, one of my friends is a commercial uh, uh, developer out in California, and he finished this uh, commercial uh, uh, shopping center, and uh, beautiful, brand new California, uh, and uh, on, uh, in the light poles in the parking lot, they put cameras that rotated on little motors up there, and they put those up there, way, way up there, and then they landscaped the whole shopping center, All, thousands of dollars of plants, it was gorgeous. When they were finished, they came back the next day, every single plant was gone. It's California. They were stolen. And he's like, well, we'll just roll the, we'll just roll the videotape, and, and we've got them. And so they rolled the tape. They never saw anybody. They would look at the frames in certain zones, and there was plants there, and a couple of frames later, there's no plants there. 
Well, what the criminals realized was they studied the, the motor rotation si system. <laughs> and it's in one of those dark zone, dome things. They studied those things and learned the, how many minutes they went this way, how many minutes that, that way. So all the trucks would zoom in, pull out all the plants, zoom out when the camera pan back. When it went back, they went back. This is creative. I told my friend, if they just took that penchant for evil and applied that to good, they could settle the state's debt. I mean, maybe not, but it's just wishful thinking. But that's for now. As you're studying sin to do greater sin, that's how you were when you didn't know God, because you didn't take care about God. You set your mind on evil things. Worldly thinking. That's what you were about. What's worldful, worldful, worldful thinking, worldly thinking like? Um, it's about you. It's about self-gratification. What's in it for me? Uh, Self-love, the next fix, the next drink, etc., the next promotion, the next thing. I mean, it's, it's about taking things because you, you, you understand the value of morality but because you don't love God. You have your own version of morality. So you, you change things and modify them so you can live with yourself but still feel good about yourself. So you have disrespect, but you masquerade it like respect. Uh, you have love, but it's a false kind of love. It's a twisted kind of love, and you masquerade as, well, it's true love. You have really a puritanical bent about your body, uh, but you dress it up like you're the most tolerant person on the planet when you're really not, et cetera, et cetera. I remember that lifestyle when I wasn't a believer, and Paul says, don't forget what you used to be like. You were bent on studying evil and doing evil. It just comes with the package. Number two, Paul says, uh, never forget that when you didn't walk with God, you were hostile to God, verses 7 to 8. It says, because the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile toward God, it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it's not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh, they cannot please God. Uh, there's a cause-effect relationship. If I'm studying evil things, then I, by definition, I'm going to be hostile to the things of God because they contradict what I think is more important. I think when I was younger, uh, the hostility to God was a little bit more subdued. Not that it wasn't there, but the older I get and the more I see my nation decline, I think the hostility toward God and Christians and godly things is way more hostile than it ever was. Hostility. Hostile to what? Well, all the things of God. What does he say here? It does not subject itself to the law of God. Uh, the non-Christian can't even get past the word subject because it's the word hupotasso, which means to be in submission to somebody else. It's a military term. So if you're a one-star general, uh, who's over you? Two-star. If you're a colonel, who's, who's over you? The one-star, the two-star, the three-star, the four-star, the president, and God. Something like that. You know? I mean, it's, it's, that's how the world works. It's submission works. But he says they will not even submit themselves to the law of God. Why? Because they're a law unto themselves. What is our culture doing? that very thing, hostile to all things related to God and, and God's absolute law. In fact, they bristle with you even saying that there's absolutes when it comes to morality. That's the world you live in. Paul says that's the way you used to be, hostile to the things of God. And if you go back to the Garden of Eden, was not the devil's first question to Eve, hostility to the law of God? Because what did the law of God say? You shall not eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. You can eat from all the other thousands of trees, just not that one. What did the devil say? Hath God said? Has he set a boundary? Is he so limiting? Is he, is he not letting you be free? He's challenging the word of God. Uh, Paul says, you are not even able to go after the law of God. 
Uh, this is a, just a blatant, uh, not blatant, this is a, a latent way of, of talking about total depravity. You're depraved. He talked about this in chapter 1 when he said man is born depraved. Um, what is depravity? Uh, well, R.C. Sproul, who went home to be with God this year, said total bra- depravity cannot mean that man is as sinful as he could be. It is not utter depravity because people who don't know God do good things. He says the point of the debate is this. Does man in his fallen nature have the moral ability to obey God? Well, God calls him to obey, but man doesn't want to obey. Why doesn't he want to obey? Because of indwelling sin moves him away from all things God. You see that constantly in our culture as people are moved away from the things of God, the laws of God, uh, and harass and harangue and make fun of people who hold to those things who are absolute morals, hostile. Verse 8, Paul says, those who do this, uh, if they're in the flesh, they can't please God, no matter how, how hard they try. Third thing Paul says, when you weren't a Christian, you did not belong to God. If you're not a Christian, you don't belong to God. I mean, like you're not part of his family. He wants you to be, but that's your choice. It says in verse 9, however, you're not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. But notice the, the contrast with the word but. But if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, what's the conclusion? He doesn't belong to Christ. Uh, when does the spirit of God come to indwell a Christian? I mean, when? At the moment of conversion, at your baptism, 10 years later, 30 years down the road. When do, when do you get the Holy Spirit? When? Right at the moment of conversion, right? I mean, he gives you the Holy Spirit. I mean, it's what Paul says in Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. He's, he's uh, your seal. That's what he says in Ephesians 1, 13. He's your seal on, on you. And then until the day of redemption, he's with you. But if you don't have the seal of, of the Spirit of God, that you're a believer, which you got at the moment of salvation, you're not part of the family of God. It's a statement of faith. Paul says, remember when you didn't know God, at that time you didn't belong to him, so you didn't have to act like you belonged to him. You, didn't, you belonged to the adversary. That's the old you. So the implication is that's the way you used to be. Don't go live like that anymore. So the positive side is in verses 5 through 11, where Paul gives us four things to think about in overcoming the, the, the spiritual Alexander in your life, that fleshly thing that nails you. Uh, how do you get victory? Number one, verse five, focus on spiritual things, Paul says. Notice what he says. Those who are according to the flesh set their minds on what? All things related to the flesh. I mean, you name it, that's what they're concerned about. The music, the movies, the whatever, that's what they're focused on. But those who are according to the spirit, they focus on the things of the spirit. Mindset. As a wrestler, what's he say you should focus on? Well, to gain victory, you've got to focus on all those things that are spiritual. Well, like what? Well, I think it would pr- probably pretty much start with the Word of God, that I read it, that I read it. Uh, I study it for a living, uh, and I enjoy studying it. It's always exciting, but I, it, there's great enjoyment in reading it. I mean, just to get up in the morning. I mean, how many times have I probably read it? A lot, but I still get up, and I'm, I'm amazed at the depth and the breadth of Scripture. It's always refreshing to sit down and read and listen to what God has to say and then, you know, go off and ha- get dressed for work and come to work. And then I study the Bible all day. I mean, that is like the perfect job. I mean, but, but you're hearing from God. In 2019, you can do nothing better than to focus on spiritual things. Um, what kind of music you listen to? I mean, I'm not saying you have to listen to Christian music all the time, but what do you listen to? You know? Uh, before my sister, uh, when I was in college, uh, me being a heavy metal fan, still am. Uh, I'm sorry. I like loud. Uh, but uh, 
So when I was in, in college listening to heavy metal, my sister was like, you know, Marty, you've got to listen to Christian music. So she gave me, back when they had cassette tapes and records and things, and she gave me, you know, some uh, Christian albums, you know, to listen to. I was like, whatever. And I listened to them, and I thought, well, I should probably put them on a cassette tape to save them for the future. And so I did. I taped them. Um, that was back in 75, 76, or 76, 77. Um, I told her before she died, I said, Marley, when it, she died last April, I told her, you know, I never told you this, but I'm going to tell you face to face. You always told me to listen to Christian music, and you always worried about me. And I said, since you gave me that music, I put it on cassette tapes. I have listened to it since then all the time, those old tapes. They're in my garage. When I'm in my garage, I listen to that music. And she was like blown away. I mean, because it ministers to me now. All those songs that she gave me that I, you know, kind of blew, blew off as a carnal Christian, now I see the value in them. What kind of music do you listen to? What kind of books are you reading? What kind of books are you reading? I told my wife the other day, it's so fun being done with doctoral work because now I can read whatever I want to. Well, then I have a choice. Do I read novels, science fiction, the things I like? No. Why? I don't have time for that. I mean, I got to redeem the time. Days are evil. Time's short. Road narrows as you get older, does it not? I'm not being pessimistic. I'm realistic. Got to use your time valuably. Paul says, if you are wanting to break free from, from the flesh, then what do you do? Well, you got to focus on things spiritual. Does that mean I have to like, be like a monk 24-7? Do I look like a monk? Don't, don't say anything. No, but I have strange t-shirts, but no, but like how much of my life is actually focused on God and I have a plan for being focused on God? Now, the other day in my office, I set up about, I don't know, seven or eight books uh, that I want to read over the next couple months. And I've already clicked down through a couple of them because I want to read them. I want to study. I want to know more, more about God because I know I'm only a fraction of the way where I should be. Uh, but what are you doing? What's your game plan? Paul says, learn to think on God. Because when you learn to think on God, it changes everything. It changes how you think about your marriage, how you raise your children, how you think about your job, how you think about adversity. When you're thinking about spiritual things, God deepens you and frees you up from getting pinned by the flesh. Number two, Paul says uh, this naturally results in a, a life that has life and peace about it. Two things. He says, for the mind that's set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the spirit is life and peace. I can tell you from all the non-Christian friends I've had, if I were to ask them at, back in the day, you guys have more fun than me or do I have more fun than you? I can tell you exactly what they all said. What do you think they said? We definitely have more fun than you, you know? But no, they didn't. Because I would watch them when they would come in drunk from partying. And, I would, and they would tell me, don't let me do that again. Okay, next weekend I would tell them when they were going out to another party. What do you think I would tell them? Don't do that, man. Remember last weekend? You know, oh yeah, but I got to be there. And they'd go and they'd come back again. I would begin to evaluate who's really having fun here. You know, you have a clean conscience when you walk with God and put God first. Uh, and you have life that's enjoyable because you're doing things that are enjoyable. I mean, have you not been around friends that did evil things? And you have to finally stop and realize, I just can't do what they do because I, like, I don't like the after effect. That's not life. That's not living. It might have been fun at the moment. When I was in high school, we took the baseball team into a local restaurant. I don't even think I've ever even told anybody this. It's a confessional booth. <laughs> we went into a restaurant, all of, 18 of us. We went in there and had food, Mexican restaurant, had food. Uh, and then uh, the team stole every chair in that restaurant. I mean, well, they took the chairs to the bathroom and stacked them. These chairs had no feet. They were bolted on pivots. They unbolted every chair in the entire restaurant. And I went out to my car. I was like, what's, what's taking you guys so long? Is, well, they, they took all the chairs and put them in the bathroom. Huh? 
the whole restaurant? Yeah, it was totally funny when the manager came out. Yeah. Did you ever hang around people like that? I did, and I started realizing, I can't be around them. Why? Because they're going to drag me into doing stuff like that. See, it's the flesh, the pull of the flesh. You start thinking about God and putting him first. You're the one that's really going to live life, and you're going to have peace because you know you're living in a way that you should live. Third thing Paul says in verse 78, you will love the law of God. You'll love it. It's uh, stated in the negative in verses 7 and 8 that the mind that's set on the flesh is hostile to God. It's not subject to the law of God. But the positive implication is if you set your mind on God, you love God's law. Now, does that mean every time you read a command of God, you're going, that's exactly what I need to do, and I need to do it right now? No. You might read the law of God and go, oh, man, it's so convicting. I know I need to do something about that, but maybe later. You know? No. He, Paul says you will have a drive in your body to want to, man, my view of the law of God is so watered down from what God wants, or I've rationalized the law of God. I mean, when I was in high school, I even went so far to say, because the word cussing is not in the Bible, it's okay. I'm serious. I, I went throughout the New Testament looking for the word. I never saw it, so I thought it must be okay. Is it okay? <laughs> Only three people know it's not wrong. Okay, I'm worried about you. Okay. What does God's law say? Let no filthy communication come out of your mouth. That's what it says, you know? And uh, I, I had those issues when I was younger because I had, I had a filthy mouth. I did. And God had to say, you can't talk like that as a Christian. Bad witness. You know? It's hard to stop doing that, isn't it, once you start it? But then it's like, well, what does God's law say? It tells me to have a mouth that's clean. I had to learn to give my mouth to God. It's that, that type of thing because you start loving the law of God. You're not hostile to the things of God. So you might need to pray a prayer for 2019, something like this. Dear God, show me in my life where I am hostile to your law. I am not submissive to your law. I'm submissive to my law. Show me. Uh, I would submit to you that at, what is it, it's 12.05 now. If you pray this at 12.06, he will answer by 12.07. <laughs> and then lastly, I close with this. If you want to have victory over your Alexander, your flesh, uh, realize you possess the Spirit of God. He's with you. Paul says as much in verse 9. However, you as a Christian are not in the flesh, but you're in the Spirit. And then that word if there, uh, it's better translated. It can also be translated uh, grammatically since. Uh, so since indeed, because it's a given that they're believers in Rome, since the, indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, it doesn't belong to him. He's not part of God's family. But if Christ dwells in you, the body is dead because of sin. We have a fleshly body that has sinful desires. Yet the Spirit is alive in you because of righteousness. Now here's the cool part. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the spirit who dwells in you. What does that mean? It means two things. In the future, he's going to take your body. Like if I were to die this afternoon driving home, uh, my spirit goes to be with Christ immediately. But there's a resurrection day coming. Resurrection day, what happens? He resurrects that body like his and fits it for eternity. He's, who resurrects you? What did Paul just say? Who resurrects you? Who's the power that resurrects you? The Holy Spirit resurrects you. He's the power. How difficult is it to overcome full-blown necrosis? Death. You ever been with a dead person? I have. I mean, you can tell that the spirit is not there. The rigid, the rigor mortis sets in, all the things that start happening in the body. I've been there. Jesus was resurrected. He said, I can lay my life down. I can pick my life up. But here it says... The Spirit is the one who does the resurrection. So we've got the Trinity in action. Think about it like this. Since the Spirit of God 
could transform the necrotic body of Christ after three days of being dead. He can raise him from the dead and give him life, and that kind of power is unbelievable. Paul says that same kind of power is in your body to help you overcome your sinful flesh. So you think that you can't overcome whatever it is that constantly nails you? Paul says, oh, think again. You got victory. I submit to you one of my uh, wrestling matches in high school that was a spiritual illustration for my life. It's not a positive one by any stretch. I was in a match one time in Yuma, Arizona, Kofa High School, and I didn't think my dad was coming because he was running the port of entry in Calexico, uh, U.S. Customs, but he managed to break away, drive over, see my match, and I didn't know he was there, so I, I was wrestling this guy, and you know how it works. You go out, shake hands, and then they blow the whistle, and then you try to cream each other. So we were going at it, and this guy was like a spider monkey. He was just like on my back. I could not get him off of me. He was everywhere. I drug him all around that mat, and he, I couldn't get him off of me. And it's like, this is unbelievable. And so the only way I could get him off of my back was to crawl to the outer ring and, 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 and have the ref throw the towel to start over. That's all I did that whole match crawling with this guy on my back. I'm dragging my legs behind me with this guy. I did that. I'd get it. He'd throw the towel. We'd start over. I'd be down on all fours. He'd blow the whistle. I tried to do a sit through to get behind the guy. I couldn't. He's on me. It was unbelievable. I don't even know how many times I did that. And at one point I was crawling. <laughs> it was humiliating. Trust me. And I was getting, I was getting tired and I was crawling over to the outer ring. Uh, <laughs> and I look up in the stands because I was crawling that direction at that point. And I look in the stands, and I see my father there in his U.S. custom uniform. Blue, light blue, badge, gun belt, pant, blue, dark blue pants, his boots and everything. I see him standing there, you know. And this is what he's doing. He's, he's like this, and he's like. <laughs> <laughs> serious. He, if he would have been saying anything, what would he have been saying? What would he have been saying, Harry? Get up. What are you kidding me? I don't even know you. And we got home. It was a really quiet night around the dinner table. You know, it was just like, oh, man, I was like, Dad, I'm trying to survive out here. But you think about that spiritually. Maybe that was your 2018. Mm-hmm. What'd you do? I did a whole lot of crawling to the outer perimeter because I kept getting nailed by Carolyn. What was God telling you? It's 2019. Your strength is not going to get that guy off your back. Whose strength gets him off your back? The Spirit of God. It's not by your might. It's by His might. This is your to appeal for the resident power to help you overcome the old Jew, to God's glory. That's maturity. Go there. Let's pray. Father God, thank you just for the clarity of Paul's pen, a man who truly know, knew in his day and age what it was like to walk in our shoes uh, and who openly shared his struggles with sin and trying to mature in Christ. What a great godly man he was. May we learn from him as our coach. May 2019 be a year where we individually and corporately uh, see a lot of growth as people break free by your power to live in such a way uh, that there is indeed freedom from, from past sin. And we thank you for the power that's resident and available to us. Might we use the Spirit. And might those in our church who don't know you be drawn to you and come to a faith relationship with you to be freed from the power of the old man and to put on the power and might of the new man. In Christ's name, amen.